Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another edition of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent. As you may know by now, each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. On to my special guest now, and this is someone I very much look to as a mentor, both in my personal and professional life. That man is Mr. Matthew Shaw. Matt is co-founder of the Whole Man Academy, which offers an informal environment where men from all walks of life can come together to share their experiences. Covering everything from mental health and physical well-being to relationship and life goals, it aims to discuss the role of men in a world where the expectations placed upon them are shifting. Matt is also Futures Editor at BBC News, a fellow mental health advocate and a very dear friend of mine. Matt, welcome to the Just Checking In pod. It's great to see you. First of all, how are you, mate? I'm doing really good. Thank you very much. Excellent. Um, so the listeners know we actually first became connected through our work for our respective platforms, didn't we? But then funnily enough, we are now co-workers at the BBC. Um, I haven't actually told you this before, but you were a really big help to me in my first few weeks at the Beeb, you know, helping me settle in and sort of realise that, you know what, I do deserve to be here, I've earned it, and I'm just going to give it the best I can do. Um, you've also just come back from an extended period of annual leave. Tell the listeners a bit about that and why you did it. Why well, I did the annual leave? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I've been at the BBC for 25 years. That is a very long time. I that's know. exactly my age. So. Yeah, that's great. Which means I started, obviously, as you were a baby. Um, and I... Sorry um, that that's comparison. Okay. I was also very young when I started, I should say. I started... Uh, um, at BBC News in London when I was 21 years... So very young then. Quite, 364 yeah. days. Oh, you've got the days down know, exactly. Right. <laughs> Amazing. The I day after that. I started was my birthday. And, um, yeah, so I've been there a long time. And uh, the BBC gives you some long service leave after 25 years mm. as a gift for your service. Mm. And what did you do with that leave? Um, I took eight weeks off. Uh, it wasn't all the eight weeks. I, I, I saved some other stuff as well. Mm. And I travelled around the United States for eight weeks, going to places I've never been before, staying with lots of friends uh, that live all over the US and having a lot of fun. Excellent. So now we've got that out of the way, shall we get started? Sure. The idea of making mental health for the, the whole population brings us nicely on to our next topic, which is the Whole Man Academy. Now, for the listeners who might not be aware of the Academy, tell them a bit about what it is, how long it's been going, your role within it, and why you set it up. Well, I uh, set it up um, just over a year ago um, with my friend and uh, Anthony. Uh, he and I kind of fell out of contact for a few years, and then we met up for a lunch uh, actually longer than a year ago, um, um, just to share our experiences, he'd seen my journey with mental health. Mm. Uh, I'd seen that he'd quit his city job uh, and had moved to the Cotswolds uh, with his partner, had a baby, started a PT and coaching business. Um, I thought that was interesting, wanted to learn more about it. Um, he clearly just wanted to make a big change in his life. Um, and we had a big discussion about the people that came to him for coaching and the people that came to me for mental health speeches and seminars. And 
Uh, the one nut we realised that not been cracked was men, that men didn't tend to come up uh, to these things um, in large numbers. If they did, they didn't necessarily take part in the event. Um, often they would wait till the event had finished and then come and see Some you. Some privately chat. Yeah, yeah, they didn't stuff, really yeah. want to talk in front of a group. Mm. I'm not saying they don't want to talk in front of women, um, but they didn't feel as comfortable. It's the group scenario, isn't it? I think yeah, so, yeah. yes. And, um, and women, I tend to find, are a lot more engaged with some of these issues uh, and feel, some women feel freer to talk about mm. it and more relaxed to talk about it. I always say this out loud. I am not saying at any point that, that women have solved the mental health issues. No. They clearly haven't. Uh, none of us have, and we're all trying to work together to solve it. Um, I just decided with Anthony that it would be interesting if we could start something um, particularly uh, targeting men. Mm. Um, and that's because uh, Anthony and I are similar in that we like to dress well, we go to the gym, uh, we use beauty products, uh, we like t uh, TV and mm. theatre, mm. that kind of metrosexual man, but I'm a gay man, he's a straight man, um, Sort different. of yin and yang then, isn't it? A sort a of a yin bit. and yeah, yang. Yeah. Although sometimes I say Anthony looks gayer than I do, but that's by the by. He won't mind that. And then um, If he's listening. Yeah. And then we kind of had a discussion. You can go to a gym in London and uh nowadays you can look round, everyone looks the same, especially the, the big muscle in the one at one end. Mm -hmm. But mostly um it's a great uh leveller of men because mm. you're all in gym kit, you're all sweating. You might all half of you might have wedding rings. Mm. Um, you can't really tell what's going on with anybody mm. about their sexuality, their background. And um, the, the biggest image I thought was that you go to a gym, you look through the window into a classroom where there might be some kind of fitness class going on. And largely they're full of women. Um, I, I, I make that comment, but um, I think it's probably true. And they look like they're having conversations, they're having mm. fun, they're often talking to friends or others. It's a microcosm of society, yeah, isn't it? going into the yeah. changing room. They're not, you know, they're not necessarily women don't necessarily get on with women either. But, and then you turn around and look at the men and they're all on their own. They're all got Solid headphones train. on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all kind of looking at the ground, looking at their phones and not sharing the experience. So what could we do? And um, there's some really brilliant work going on for men in the area of mental health. There are some great uh, sessions, great group discussions, great, um, I'm sort of almost the style of kind of therapy sessions. There are some great initiatives Andy's Man Clubs on. are one that's really, really popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, stuff like that. And that's, that's sort of like, not AA, but it's where people can just come together, you know, anonymously. They don't have to talk necessarily, but they can just open up in that space and just talk to each other. I think those, I think those platforms like you, like you mentioned are really kind of helping men at the moment, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but we thought maybe we should try and reach people that don't necessarily think that mental health is a big issue for them currently or want to learn more about how to help a friend mm. or a colleague or a relation um, or, or just to create a space that, that, men can feel relaxed in. So mm. I often say aspirational space and um, I want to f men to feel like it's a nice thing to do, something to come out uh, and enjoy, but it's a space where men can come together um, and discuss issues that matter to them. Anything from identity to direct mental health, to fitness, to food, to 
style to uh, social media, just the big subjects that you can, they're all related to our mental well-being. Mental well-being is, is our reaction to everything, our emotional reaction, um, our physical reaction helps our mental well-being. So that's what we wanted to do. And so we started that in September, called it the Whole Man Academy. We, um, it's a kind of play on words because we want all men um, to share the experiences of being uh, men with each other, whatever their sexuality or background. Um, so it, we started in September last year, the first event had about 25, 30 men there and it seemed to tap into something. Um, we held it at Sarah House, which admittedly is a private members club. It might feel a bit elitist, but it, the event was open to anyone. And if people haven't been there, it's quite nice to go and have a little look around and um, it's a nice stylish venue. So, um, and we've had three or four uh, events in the first few months before we launched properly in March this year. Excellent. And and what's your vision for the Whole Man Academy? What do you hope it will achieve? And what do you hope it will do for the, not just for the mental health sector, but also for, for men as a population as well? Well, our vision, um, uh, we've got like a three to five year plan, but currently we want to keep doing events uh, to get uh, attention, to get men to find out, to grow our base of of not only fans and followers, but people that want to be engaged in what we're doing. So we're going to keep doing that. Um, and I think, you know, the events could be as big as we like. We've got a huge amount of interest from, from speakers. Um, at the moment, we're just doing events that cover costs and um, Anthony and I uh, pay for some of our time in setting this up um, and, uh, we're really enjoying it. Um, I think it's a great thing uh, that companies and larger organisations could get involved in. Although we just talk about male mental health, I think you find that men and women together in the workplace want to help the men around them more. So there are some great things to learn. I definitely found that when I started Vent, you know, loads of women got in touch with me and said, it's a really good thing you're doing. So I definitely agree with that. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and some of the skills and techniques and uh, responses to mental health that we talk about, obviously, they, they, they relate to anybody, mm. but we're just doing it in this forum. Mm. Um, and we want to keep doing that. Uh, we would love to kind of take it on the road and, uh, and teach A whole people. man roadshow. So A whole speak. man roadshow. Yeah. I'm certainly going to talk to bigger companies um, about that um, and actually learn from some of them. My, my friend, um, Sean Davis, who works at Royal Mail, um, I, I'm guessing that they have um, largely male workers. They're, there are more post-men than post-women in the world. Um, and uh, and a lot of those are working, they work alone a lot mm. of the time of day. So they have a great initiatives there to help men. So we want to learn from them on, on, on kind of the tips and the tools that they're offering uh, their workers. Mm. And then eventually we would love to sort of almost have a whole man charity that allows us to do the type of events that we're doing in London um, uh, all over the country in different venues, but always keeping it slightly aspirational. So uh, it might not be the village hall. It could be the upstairs room of a really nice restaurant in the town that we're in or something like that. But, th but that's what we want to do. So it still feels, if I'm really honest, I sometimes think that a man wouldn't turn around to his partner or his flatmate and say, in response to where are you going now, I'm going to a mental health event. Mm. But they might say, oh, I'm going to a talk about social media at Soho House or at 
the dog and duck or it just might be easier and for them to admit that and then almost start a conversation and get there home. and get to the stage maybe start no. six months down the line when they go to a few more and they say oh, actually I'm going to talk about mental health tonight. exactly yeah. so um, and I largely find you know partners women are very supportive of men to go and do these things um, so uh, I'm very careful about my language around this because mm. Uh, because it's not just about men and women, it's about all men. So mm. uh, it's sort of difficult to make generalisations. Mm. But... Yeah, give me give some of the listeners maybe a few of the big names you've had speak at your events and, and why did you pick those particular people to share their experiences? Well, um, our, our most successful event so far was uh, uh, in spring this year, late spring this year, and that was uh, with David Gandhi, the Oof. model... I know. The man himself. The man himself. Uh, a, a really lovely, kind uh, man um, who has obviously forged a career based on uh, his looks. Um, that is what a model is. Uh, <laughs> but the base point, isn't it? That yeah, is the yeah, base yeah. point. <laughs> but uh, he uh, has really, really uh, managed, I think, to create... A, particularly a social media image that gives back, that supports mm. people and men and is realistic and uh, and grounded, I guess, is the, mm. the best word for that. I think that's brilliant. He's involved in a lot of initiatives and charity and supporting people. So that is also brilliant stuff. Um, it, it's so good, I think, for, for men to hear from somebody like David Gandhi who... You know, the realism of his life is particularly mm. around photographic shoots, the kind of amount of time he has to spend in the gym. Mm. We might... The reality might, be, might, not be lo- might be lost on a few people. I yeah. think so. Yeah. I mean, he has to work exceptionally hard. That mm. is his career. And actually, um, most people don't want to do exactly. that. And I'm sure there are times, and he spoke about them, when he gets up in the morning and that's the last thing he wants to do is go mm. to the gym. But that's his career and that's how he's making money for his family. So... Mm. Um, totally understand that. Um, you know, we talked a lot about uh, his sort of how he's perceived for uh, his image. Might people think might he have it? He might have it all basically. And exactly. So always like that. He actually said his best moments are always in supermarkets when he's kind of. He went to. He said he went to Waitrose one weekend uh, to get some stuff for the baby because they'd run out of something. Uh, and literally a uh, a person walked up to him in the supermarket and said, you're David Gandhi, what are you doing here? As if, I don't know, as if he's a member of the royal family that gets like shit <laughs> yeah. groceries or something. And he kind of pointed at whatever he got, the nappies or yeah. whatever was in the... Pre- this is why I'm here, mm, because mm. I'm buying this. <laughs> um, anyway, um, that kind of... And he keeps his life very private um, as much as possible. And I think that allows him to be... Um, uh, quite grounded too so mm. although we're talking about somebody majorly in the public eye who's uh really amazing body has been blessed plastered. been blessed with good blessed looks with, yeah whose amazing looks and body are plastered over the magazines that you might have in your house um there are always things that you can take away about use of social media use of style how um your fitness tips uh, how you relate to family and friends around you um, especially so about that success how you keep grounded in life how do you find moments of peace uh, and he was really really generous in offering all that information to the men there so that was brilliant we've had Leon McKenzie the former uh, professional really footballer big yeah, yeah big fan of Leon McKenzie he, he's 
big on the scene, as it were. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember he started, we had him in for about sort of half an hour, 40 minutes, but um, as part of one of our day events, um, but we just let him carry on mm. because his story was so, uh, or in many ways, shocking mm. and in other ways, uh, uh, really supported other men in the room. Mm. Um, and, you know, you're fascinated to know what it's like to be... Uh, uh, so a in that world, sports yeah. person, yeah. yeah. Again, somebody you're almost defined by your skill and your fitness, um, and that can be really difficult. And mm. I think if you're struggling with issues as a normal person, I don't know, I use that in phrase? inverted commas, yeah, in inverted yeah. commas, actually, you realise when you talk to some of these people, we're actually less defined by one thing, mm. um, and, but they are, but they are, yeah. and if that goes wrong. Um, if you become injured or it ends, that's an enormous crisis. And actually, we, inverted commas, normal people, um, if we've developed a life where we have a, a job that we love or a family that we love or a kind of hobby that we love, we have the ability not to be def- defined by one of those. So it sh- hopefully it can make us more balanced. Mm. Uh, so and we've got further plans ahead of people that want to get involved. Um, I mean, it's lucky that I've been involved in the BBC and news and entertainment for 25 years. So mm. I've got uh, lots of people that can owe me some favours. <laughs> yeah, and cash them in, basically. I know, exactly. Yeah. Do you think doing the whole Man Academy has, has helped you grow as a person or perhaps unlocked parts of yourself that you didn't know existed, maybe? Um, I've always been a great event organiser. I was always, like, produced shows when I was a kid mm. uh, or a student and enjoyed that. I enjoy not necessarily putting myself at the centre of things, although some, some of my friends might disagree um, about that. They some of my friends might disagree with that I as know. well. They might think I'm like that too. So They say you say you don't want to be at the centre, but you love it when you are. Yeah. And uh, you kind of do you that. You put it on yourself. You can't let everything has to be done. I know, I know, I know. Um, I, no, I enjoy doing the events. I enjoy the success of it. I enjoy helping people. Um, like many of us that are involved in this area, um, and we'll talk about it, soon i'm sure but but my area of uh, of bad mental health in my life i think you know very quickly off the back of it um i, I wanted to use such a bad time uh, for for my not only my good and my self esteem but also to help other people um mm. and if you can find something that you think you can help other people and you're in a mood and uh, a place where you think you can actually make a contribution then then why not um and um, yeah, it's helped my self-esteem. Um, I'm not going to be shy. I've loved the attention. I'm, I'm loving <laughs> the interaction. I think we all do um, a little bit at heart. Yeah, but I, I, think what you I, say. I think I feel completely fake and empty if that attention was attached to something that didn't actually mean something mm. to people. So whatever that might be. Um, <laughs> I guess the, if I had an affair with someone who was plastered <laughs> over the tabloids, that's a, that might be fun. But um, I It wouldn't last. Yeah, it wouldn't last. Yeah. Um, as we both know, running our own platforms and our own businesses in our spare time has its own unique set of challenges. Um, what are some of the challenges that you found doing Whole Man alongside BBC and other you know, parts of your life and balancing those that perhaps some people might not realise? Um, it's very kind and that my bosses support this. Um, but obviously, at the same time, they don't support me doing it during work hours. So that's fine. Of course they don't. I'm there to do a job. 
um, and uh, which is fine. So I'm very, very careful, um, even though sometimes I want to do an Instagram post or something <laughs> to absolutely make sure it's on my way into work, on my way back from work, um, because uh, also I'm being paid for by license. Yeah, and, it's, money. and it's respect I, um, as well. I know, yeah, exactly yeah. so. And also, work is so busy, I don't have time, <laughs> and I want to make the best of it and enjoy work. Um, so the challenges are time and um, and tiredness, as I mm. call them. Uh, the two T's. The two T's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anthony is an amazing um, support. Um, his hours are different to mine. He's a, a personal trainer and coach. So, so he's almost, almost as irregular as yours, maybe, but he, in different ways. He is, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. he's always up at 5 a.m. Uh, and then seeing clients till mm. mid-morning, and then he might catch a few hours in the day while I'm at work that he can do some stuff but then the clients come back and then the evening sessions yeah and, yeah, and he's just yeah. got a new baby and he's got a young uh, another young kid god so how do you manage that like I'm not really with, sure god I don't even know considering he's working and living at home with yeah, the kids yeah um, that is a, a real tough challenge for him but so he and he lives in the Cotswolds so um, so I he's try, driving everywhere yeah <laughs> I try and do the London meetings when I can, um, and uh, they're often breakfast meetings, obviously before work, or uh, I try and, if I have to have a telephone conversation, I do it uh, whilst I'm having lunch. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. that kind of I've thing. I've had a few of those I as know. well. It's just hard to 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 fit in, um, mm. and, you know, on the one hand, I think if I was doing this full-time, it would be amazing, and we'd, have an, we'd probably buy the shard and that would be the whole whole man academy mm. and people get dropped in at the top and they come out whole men at the bottom um like cybermen and <laughs> like the um, Borg from know, Star Trek. exactly um but at the moment uh i think we're doing a pretty good job i agree and we've got some sponsors people that support us um and uh, we've got a particularly good fan of the whole man academy um who is so well connected that's helped us with so much um, and for any listeners who want to get involved or come to one of your events, where can they go? So it's our website. Um, it has everything on, um, www.wholemanacademy.com. Um, so you can see the events as they happen, as we start planning them. A new one's just gone, is going on tonight, uh, which is our Manxiety workshop. Um, see what we did there, but it's about men and anxiety. It'll be a it's a new event for us. It's not just about chatting as men. We're actually going to directly tackle one issue. And we're doing it with Mark Bailey, who is a friend of mine and a psychotherapist based on in central London. Um, and we will be uh, really working hard on anxiety, looking why it's there, how we deal with it, how we cope with it, and techniques that we can use to try and manage it. So mm. it will be a lot more... Um, intense um, but also something that people can really take something home from so it's an it's a new kind of event we like trying out all these different mm. things get out of your comfort zone exactly yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I'm really excited about it and Mark is brilliant and um, very inspirational so excellent and we'll put all the links in the uh, description of this pod but also any social media links as well Where yeah or well, everywhere um, so it's Holman at Holman Academy is basically on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We do most of our work on Instagram. We've had most of our responses via that. Um, and I guess that's because it's open and using the, the right hashtags. Uh, 
um, we're using LinkedIn a little bit more now, so to try and make some contacts. Um, but yes, take a look, forward it, spread the word. Excellent. She's never been strange before, and she never will. I think the next topic for us to dive into, Matt, is the journey you've gone on to get to where you are today. So firstly, you know, tell me a bit about how you got to where you are today professionally, your childhood, and then how sort of your mental health began to impact that part of your life and that big event that you told us about previously. Yes. Um, so how did I get where I got professionally? Um, I guess to describe the journey, I will start. Um, I had a great upbringing. Um, I, I'm an only child, which some people might think is kind of the route to disaster. <laughs> Um, but I have very loving parents, a great upbringing. Um, I'm a gay man, but the coming out bit was fine. I never really had a horrific moment mm. or I, very fortunate and lucky then. I, fortunate. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I wasn't kind of some, uh, twisted, disturbed in the closet, uh, anxious man or boy before, mm. beforehand. I might definitely had its emotional moments, mm. but I just experienced probably compare those to anybody's puberty, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Um, I I think some people might argue that I haven't confronted it or there's kind of all this hidden stuff that I haven't appreciated that comes with it. Uh, my friend Matthew Todd um, and I've had a discussion about that and he's written about it. Was it the book that was called Pride? Yeah, it's yeah, on my yeah. list. It's on my list um, to read. So yeah. that that's interesting. But uh, <laughs> when I was 16, I was doing my GCSE revision and uh, I wasn't necessarily worried, but my parents and my mum in particular at that time, uh, she's probably saw more of me or she's in charge of my revision. Um, she noticed I was just, I've lost energy, enthusiasm. Uh, it's not that I couldn't be bothered. I just couldn't summon the energy. Mm. And I sort of became, she sort of has described sort of motionless a little bit. Mm. I couldn't, it was, I was procrastinating so much about any form of revision and we were a bit worried why I was so tired and all I wanted to do was sleep. Uh, so we went to the doctor and the doctor, uh, this is way back in 1988, uh, the doctor uh, thought probably I had hay fever of some sort. Wow, so it really was quite an early days for the mental yeah, health diagnosis absolutely, and all that. Yes. And, and the uh, oddly enough, he's not wrong. I did actually have hay fever. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and we hadn't really thought about it. And he put me on antihistamine, but it didn't really affect my mood. But um, as I remember, but I think I just got out of it. Um, and I did okay in my GCSEs. And then everything was fine. I... University was brilliant. Again, around about exam time, I have to say, during my finals, the stress really, really got to me in a I couldn't cope type way. Um, and I had a sort of difficult short period there, but I obviously found a way to deal with that. But um, And then I started my job at the BBC and I, it was just lucky enough, I, after I left university, um, I was lucky enough to go to Oxford University. Obviously that gives you a help in life um, and I applied for a job for BBC Look East in Norwich I, I come from Kings Lynn it's where I'd gone home to after university so the local the, the local, local BBC job. yeah the local BBC yeah. and I, I didn't get the job because I was you know fresh out of uni but they were obviously delighted to find an Oxford graduate that lived in Kings Lynn in the patch <laughs> um, and uh, they offered me work experience um, which 
I took very gladly uh, for two weeks, but then they extended it by two weeks. And then I found out another researcher was going away on attachment. So they offered me a short term attachment behind him. He got extended the usual way that it works at the BBC. I think it's a lot more difficult now, but um, that's how it happened. And then six months into that, I was told um, uh, by a new manager uh, that I was too big a fish in a small pond uh, with, with such lack of experience, which is true. And uh, had I ever thought of applying to a job for network news in London where I'd be a smaller fish in a bigger pond. So conversely, I went from doing regional news to the big issues, the big issues of the day yeah. for yeah. national news. But obviously I had a lot more around me and a lot, a lot more opportunities to get experience. And I've stayed there ever since. So, um, And then... When I was about 26, 27, uh, I do remember, gosh, of course I remember, I can tell you the story of uh, of something, I will call it burnout, but it felt not just physical tiredness, it felt like emotional uh, sort of explosion and switch off. Mm. And I think it came from working very, very hard um, for a period of time. I think there's an age, and it probably is in your late 20s. It, maybe it was sooner for me than others. That There's like one day when you realise that you can no longer go out till four in the morning and then go to work the I think next I've already realised that now. Yeah, <laughs> but you can. For a few years, you absolutely can do that. Um, and for, your body can take it. And then I realised my body can no longer mm. take this. And I was in a house share, which is a little bit, sometimes a bit party. And chaotic. And, and chaotic. Yes, yes. Um, you know, you get over a tiring day at work and there'd be... Drinks ready or drinks whatever. Drinks ready, dancing yeah. in the kitchen. And, you know, most times you'd be into it. Um, and I wasn't quite. And I... I know, it. maybe it's growing up, I don't know. Mm. Um, but I completely and utterly uh, lost it. Uh, lots of crying, lots of sort of desperation is probably the best way of mm. talking about it. But But surrounded by my flatmates, so I was in a safe place but I went to bed for a couple of days um and then went to work had a discussion with a really great boss uh, a lovely person um but as far as I know I don't think we ever talked about it being mental health per se oh, okay so it wasn't a direct correlation no, it was we had a talk like, about yeah. you must be tired mm. the Take burnout the burnout reasons the burnout more focus reason. on yeah uh is there anything that we can do to help you be less tired apart from give you a few days off and then I was getting nervous because that almost came from, are you going to take some work away from me that I know is coming up? Yeah, I you get that apprehension, don't yeah, you? Yeah, Thinking yeah. it might have an impact on your career, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And I was still quite junior and, you know, hoping to improve a lot. Uh, so in the end, I went back to work. Um, and then everything was fine until... Mm. Um, everything was fine. <laughs> uh, until uh, I was uh, 42, 43... Um, so quite a long time afterwards then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I'd gone through a period then of big change in uh, uh I found a partner, we moved in together, uh, I became a boss, um, I did some foreign news, took sort of big responsibility for things. Um, I was older, obviously. Um, <laughs> so life had changed. I sort mm. of entered the, the, the proper functioning adult stage of my life. Mm. Um, but then, unfortunately, my relationship ended after um, uh, 12, 13 years. Um, 
and I ended up, as I still am, living alone for the very first time in my life. Um, I've never lived alone before then. What was that adjustment like for you? Was it quite a big shock or was it something that you... Oh, it was horrendous. Yeah, uh, yeah. And because living alone comes after the ending of a relationship and the heartbreak of that, it just exacerbates the problem. Um, and uh, so I have to give a message of hope. I actually, just on the way home last night after mm. a kind of bad day at work, um, I absolutely was obsessed with just coming back to my flat and closing the door mm. and almost in a soap opera way, leaning my back against the door, mm. shutting it, thinking, oh, I've got some peace and quiet. Yeah. That would never have happened four years ago. I was laughing at myself last night. I said, look at me, this all I want to do is be at home um, and just just spend an evening eating something, watching some TV. And uh, But, I mean, you can come on to how the techniques I've used to make mm. sure that's not the same every day. Um Anyway, uh, and then I had a particularly bad time coping with that. I wasn't going to the gym as much as I used to. Not that I'm a big gym goer, but it I always helps, stop. doesn't it? With it always helps. Like Exercise us, yeah. helps. Uh, I think the worst thing I did is I pushed my parents out of my life a little bit because mm. of the breakup, um, and I didn't want to worry them. Mm. So I kind of I think that's natural sometimes. I think as well. Yeah, but but I'd lost a good. I mean, they are an anchor in life mm. and by trying to protect them and push them out at the same time, uh, at that time I was vulnerable, that was bad. Do you know, that's the first time I've ever said that to anybody. But there we are, just so you know. It's an exclusive one for you. A lot of things happen like that on the pod, don't I know, they do. That. First time I've ever thought, thought of it like that and said it like that, but that's the truth. Um, and uh, started drinking a bit more, mm. partying a bit more, um... No, I had nobody to come home to, so I might as well stay out. Mm. Um, and meanwhile, the job was very intense. Mm. And so I was... High spending, octane, yeah, pressured. Yeah. Spending more yeah. time at work than I'd ever spent. Uh, and again, the, the, the phrase burnout comes, but it wasn't burnout. Mm. I think it was burnout and depression and grief. Mm. Um, it was a cocktail of, sort of things in, into one. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, it was all there, and bad health, as in uh, physical well-being. Um, everything was there. Mm. Um, I describe it like a pint of Guinness. I think mostly Guinness, that kind of the head on the Guinness, kind yeah. of sometimes drips over, but sometimes if you, if it starts pouring, it just never stops. And then I just got to that moment where. Mm. I just blew a gasket. And did at the time, did you think it was just one of those issues? Whereas, whereas now you reflect and you go, it was all of these issues at once, or did you have more? I of think a, at the like time, on that, you, what you why you actually thought you were feeling that way. I think at the time you just focus it so much, almost screaming in your head, "I can't go on. Mm. I don't want this. I can't do this." You don't even think what this is, but this is how you're feeling at that. That's time. your normal. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I can't, is this my normal feeling like this? Not being able to function. And that's basically where I got to. I couldn't function. Mm. I didn't want to talk to anybody about anything. And I thought no one could help or understand how I felt. Um, and I was tired and I wanted everything to be quiet and stop. But the BBC's um, a very loud place. Yes. <laughs> so it was, in fact, at the news desk, mm. in the middle of the newsroom, behind the news channel 
presenter reading the news that I just sort of stood up, put my coat on one morning and just left. Mm. And I came back to this very flat uh, we're sat in now um, and lay on the hall carpet. And as soon as I got in, I think I took my coat off. I don't remember. Um, And uh, I was there for a good two hours, not answering my phone. Uh, So I made some people very worried at Mm. work about me. Uh, for which uh, I'm very sorry. And it's not your fault, pal. It's not my fault, but I'm sorry they went through that distress. Mm-hmm. And then if they did, I'm sure they did, some people. <laughs> anyway, uh, luckily somebody from work was sent round uh, to come and check I was at home and okay. And he basically buzzed the door and I let him in. And uh, uh, he sat with me um, uh, and then various other friends came. I spoke to my boss on the phone and I spent... Sort of the next two days, again, it's always two days. Two days in <laughs> yeah, bed. it's always two days. Always two days. Two days in bed to the GP appointment with uh, my friends looking after me. And and this I say, I'm going to say I'm really, really lucky. I walked in, I, I'm at a surgery where I don't have a specific GP. They just put you in with whoever's there. I don't know if they did this, they planned this, but she was a, a, a she specialised in mental health mm. and general practitionerism, whatever it's called. Yeah. General practition. Uh, so I walked into a room and there was somebody probably 20 years younger than me. Okay. Um, but nevertheless, uh, she was fantastic. Um, and I'm really, really sorry to say I've forgotten her name. Um, I'd love to know where she is and what she's doing. She doesn't work at that Somehow we'll find out when this is out. We'll, we'll, do, <laughs> some, made, we'll do some searching. She made an enormous difference. And I think lots of doctors know they can do that, thankfully. But mm. she did. And with all this sort of crisis that happened, you know, at what point did you feel like you could reach out for help and get support? You know, did you... You've obviously said that you, you were very lucky and that you didn't receive any stigma for it happening, but... Did you maybe feel that inside your head? Did you think, oh, because I'm a man going through this, that I might be a bit anxious about people reacting to it? What was your sort of, what was going through your head at that point? I, I definitely thought, uh, and I still do, um, that people would just think I'm being overdramatic. Mm. Um, that trope of people thinking you're being an attention seeker, isn't or it? It's, yeah. Or seeking attention. Mm. Or, or the perception that actually I'm in control more than I am. Uh uh, the best way to describe that is, and some friends have have, have said this and they're right, you really are good at handling these situations. We watch it. I We admire the way you do it. And there's something really infuriating about the fact that you can't see that. Mm. And I've had some friends say it just makes them angry sometimes that I can't see. Mm. So at my worst, I, I a lot of us that. that don't I know, yeah. I can't see that I'm popular or kind Mm. or helpful or interesting or good at dealing with people or Mm. um so then I just think to myself maybe I just get tired of it is Mm. it really a performance um well how we make these connections and decisions in our head are kind of at the root of all therapy so Mm. I in a way I did feel shy about it, but I think because and very quickly, um, friends appreciated there was something wrong. Uh, my boss uh, telephoned me and said, um, uh, are you okay? We're very worried about you. We just want you to get better. So almost from that point, at least somebody was of responsibility in my life was saying, 
I can see that you're unwell, we want you to get better. It's not a diagnosis, but it's a recognition that I'm not acting. Mm. Um, and was that really important for you? Was that really profound, that moment? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there wanting it to happen, mm. as it were, thinking, I need someone to validate me. But as soon as the validation came, it calmed me down mm. or it relaxed me. I just mm. thought, it's okay, I don't have to worry about what people perceive. Um, I just need to get better. And oddly enough, um, and I'm very fortunate in this, in that situation I was in, very quickly within you know a couple of days, I was focused on getting better. Um, I didn't quite know how it would happen. Or how to do it, maybe. Or how to yeah. do it, maybe. But I was... I want to be better. Mm. Um, and was and, it that sort of like, you want to be better for yourself, but also because you've had all this help and support, you want to sort of, not not say thank you, but just sort of maybe say, you know, I'm so glad that you were here to help me through that time, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Yeah. And... Um, I have to say, I didn't really want to race back to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, um, oddly enough, <laughs> naturally. Um, but there's also just a bid to have a holiday. See, I'm still talking about that language about yeah, because we, I was we, doing we it. have that sort of checking ourselves, don't we? When yes. it's that that sort of tick almost. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, you know, the, the way work the BBC handled it was so so good. In that, you know, we talked about we want you to come back to work because we miss you, and you do a good job here, and the BBC but, you know, we'll do it at your pace and our pace and we'll just involve you in how that happens mm. every step of the way. Mm. But, you know, just keep talking to us because mm. we want to know how you're doing. And, you know, I've said this in many speeches about workplace mental health. It's permitting me to feel how I feel, mm. but also giving me a, a route map to getting better. Um which is great. I was lucky and I not only lucky in the way I was treated, but luckily in the way I was feeling. Mm. Um, and I, I thoroughly appreciate that some people, uh, that their mental health and it deteriorates, it, it's a lot worse for them and you, you absolutely can't see a way out or you're just too unwell to even start working on getting out. But I think, uh, Mainly because one of my friends bought some baklava around, which was the most delicious baklava I've ever had. It's just from down the road. I remember that forever. Um, and that's my friend James, if he's listening. Thank you very much. And um, uh, it's, I don't know, signs of hope. Mm. I mean, we were talking about my parents just earlier and I didn't actually speak to them. It was, I just said I was sort of tired. Mm. That phrase I was came taking, back. Yeah, yeah. I was taking time off work because I was a little bit tired and overwrought. Um, and it was another friend of mine that eventually... I conflate all this to see like it was a week, but this is over a period of time. She actually said, you just need to tell your parents. Mm. Um, and I did. And I telephoned them and told them exactly what was going on. No sugarcoating. Like no sugarcoating. Yeah, yeah. This has happened to me. Um, actually, what I would really like is if you came down to stay with me for a bit, um, which they did. They were going to come down that night, but then mum ran back and said she had some ironing to do. Could they come the next morning? Priorities. I know, which made me laugh, um, and which was a good thing. And they came down first thing, and um, uh, it was perfect. There was no... As can happen with family, we didn't have therapy discussions mm. or 
why it happened. They it's just, rare that you do with those. No, yeah, they it's very just, rare. It's you, being there. It's yeah, it's just being you. there. It was yeah. them being present. We just kind of sat and watched TV. Mm. Although we went to the Tower of London. It was way back. Now I remember it was 2014. It was when those lovely um, poppies, that, that big artist. Oh, yeah, I remember the Tower that. Of yeah, yeah, we went yeah. to see that together. And um, no, it was a great day, that. Beautiful sunny day, but... Uh, those things, um, little things like that. I don't, to me, it was like not reconnecting them. That's nonsense. They're my parents, but it just felt like well, we're on a different, a different level, a different, a different level now. Yeah. We can just push on and and as as worried as I was um, about telling them this and them feeling unhappy or blaming themselves, actually seeing their relief and happiness that I wasn't as bad as they feared was better and seeing them thinking that they'd made a difference to me by being here outweighed all of that fear about how they might feel about it so it's a if that's a message to anybody out there just just tell them and then tell me a bit obviously moving on from from your mental health experiences how you became a mental health advocate in your own life in your personal life and also your professional career at the BBC so um, it was the GP quite soon on. Um, I think we had a discussion uh, in a kind of checkup appointment one or two weeks after my first appointment with her. Um, I mean, she was brilliant. She said, we don't normally do this, but if you fancy coming in um, every week... No, not every week. It wasn't quite like that. Every day. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quite like that. Uh, I, I really got special treatment here because she telephoned me sometimes. Yeah. Um she went above and beyond. Then, she went really. up, above yeah. and beyond, um, and so I went to see her. Um, she, I, it was a discussion about work. Actually, I think it must have been. I went to see her to see if she would, if we were going to be signing me off for a mm. bit more time. That's when that next, and we had this discussion, and she did sign me off for a little bit more time, um, and said uh, she was delighted that work was handling it well. I said the funny thing is I've had a conversation with my bosses, um, where I admitted that I wouldn't know how to handle me. Mm. So I thought they were doing quite well. And she laughed. I said, actually, it's one of those things I said, um, I'd love to help bosses at work mm. uh, kind of understand more about these things. Because really, you were learning as you went along. Exactly so. And she said, well, that sounds a really interesting thing to look at. She said, maybe not right now. Let's get better. But maybe that's something you could do. And she talked about issues of self-esteem. And is that something you could contribute? Um so uh, I came back and kind of talked it through. Um, and then in another, just in those moments when you never remember the breaks, you always remember the bad things, you don't remember the lucky things. Um, there's a journalism fellowship at, that BBC News has a relationship with at the University of Michigan uh, in the States, uh, which I applied for, the fellowship, um, which was going to begin a year afterwards but the application was just in uh, January so it's just as I returned to work I applied and my pitch was to do how to help journalists with depression mm. and not necessarily help those that uh, have experienced trauma or or become depressed or affected by the stuff that they've seen during their job but more those journalists that might bring their mental health into work and how can you make that kind of environment, a fast-paced environment, uh, uh, how can you make that better for the journalists that were there? Um, 
And so I kind of pitched an idea to go and study that at Michigan, mm. because Michigan has a uh, depression centre, which is the world's first uh, sort of multidisciplinary centre uh, looking at mental health and depression across all kind of fields. Um, and I thought, well, there's lucky. And then the, <laughs> uh, the Knight Wallace Fellowship is uh, named after Mike Wallace, the Wallace bit is, um, and he's a famous CBS journalist in the States who mm. very, very early on in his, in the kind of history of mental health, talked about his depression on air. Mm. I'm going to get so it unheard of wrong. back then, wasn't it? It was unheard of. I mean, we're talking 70s or 80s here. Poor, that, yeah, that is unheard of. But yeah. it was very, very early on. Mm. And uh, I thought, well, th- there we are. It's calling out to me to do this study. So I did that. Actually, I, I was only supposed to go for three months. I stayed for nine, thanks to the BBC, who allowed me to take a proper career break. But anyway, I um, worked very hard at turning this project into something about workplace mental health. Big, stressful environments. And then we got funding from the university to do that. So I visited big companies in New York um, and, uh, and Michigan, and also we came to London to speak to some, and we also came to London to, to look at the BBC, BBC Newsroom specifically, and what we could do with some MBA students from university um, who are all doing very well out of it now. Um, and uh, that letter report I wrote for BBC News about how to improve mental health within BBC News, which actually then grew into a kind of campaign for the whole of the BBC called Open Up. Um, so you were the start of that. You were the creation of that. Yes. Wow, I didn't know that. I am. Um, I didn't know I was talking to the man behind, behind it. Open Up. <laughs> you are, in fact, talking to the man behind Open Up. Uh, and uh, yes, I know my legacy to the BBC <laughs> involved a lot of other people. Mm. Um, and uh, and a, a colleague of mine called Karen Peak, who is doing fantastically brilliant things um and Susanna Robertson Hart who's in Salford mm. brilliant things spoken to both of them about open up and everything else brilliant so, things brilliant for mental people, health brilliant people in the BBC so I'm only a part of that I was just like the cheap poster boy um <laughs> uh, and even then I found some even more inspirational people around the BBC to talk about it publicly so that's good so yeah launched open up served on the government's advisory committee for workplace mental health for their big uh, the Lord Stevenson Paul Farmer report into that uh, for uh, uh, the Theresa May government um, seems a long time ago, mm. and then um, uh, basically, then I thought about the whole Man Academy. So that's kind of been my journey, really. Mm. And how did you find that transition of you know people referring to you as an advocate or maybe even an expert on the subject? I mean, I I've personally found that transition at the start quite hard because I always wanted Vent to be about other people and the advocates that Vent creates and champions it creates rather than myself so when people started coming to me for advice not you know what medication should I take but just like things like my friend or someone I work with has, is going through something I'm not sure you know what signs to spot or whatever you know things like that that you can provide advice on I found that quite hard at the start was it something that you found difficult or was it something you sort of grew into I still into? find it I'm, yeah. I'm not an expert um and I still get treated sometimes like a counsellor mm, um, I get that I get that now which uh which I'm 
obviously not happy with I'm not trained in that uh, and I would be extremely anxious I I say the wrong thing um, for that person so I'm always very upfront about that we always I always say at the start as well I'm not a counsellor I'm not an expert exactly. but here's my lived experiences that I can use to often I talk about you. that um, and sometimes you just come out with fatuous comments like well really it's all about you and you feeling good and you looking after yourself just mm. just make sure you're focused on that and these are the ways to go and do it. But I find, especially in the world of mental health, that some of the most things that I think are so simple, people don't know about. People still don't really know about, you can go to the, your GP to talk about it mm. and they might help you and they might refer you to um, mental health services, which are a lot different to how they were uh, before. And there are some great initiatives within the NHS they have long waiting lists, but there are talking therapies, online therapies, all sorts of things which are, which are designed around working people going back to work. Um, and people don't know about that. They don't know about what to do if someone's in crisis. They didn't know you could just walk into an A&E and be looked after and uh, don't know what the employee assistance programme if you work for a larger company does uh don't really think about the language of having these conversations which are just sort of the basic open language mm. of encouraging someone to look to, to look after themselves um so you can just keep saying the same things all the time and there are people that have never heard it before i find mm. um so yeah advocates uh yeah i'm not going around well it's a bit difficult being a bbc journalist kind of fighting uh, for mental health services because mm. I, I I'm obviously remaining impartial politically at all points. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I like to talk about what works, and then leave other people to decide mm. how to fight for it. Um, I try and help as much as possible. I do say sometimes, actually, um, you know, it, it's not a huge intense effort every day, but it's a it's a reasonable effort keeping me going. Um, when I say keeping me going, gosh, I don't mean anything that serious. I mean just keeping the ship sailing um, in a good way. So I, 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 I'm not particularly good at dealing with other people's uh, horror or issues, but I try to arm myself then with telling them where to go and seek help, I think. Mm. Coming back to your sort of coming out story, I really wanted to sort of explore that a little bit more. Um, you know, when you when you did come out, to your to your parents when you eventually came out about your mental health issues did you draw any comfort or experience from how you came out about your sexuality to how you came out about your mental health issues because i've what i found is that when i came out about my mental health issues a lot i've got a lot of gay friends and i suddenly found a bit of commonality between obviously it's not the same but i did feel some commonality between me coming out about that about my mental health issues and being very apprehensive because i it was that one of those things where you can't take it back. And I spoke to some of my gay friends and they, they very much shared that sort of, that same sort of feeling, you know, I never regretted coming out. And once I did, it was a, like a weight lifted off my shoulders. Did you, did you find any commonalities between those two? Well, I guess in a negative way, probably part of the reason I didn't tell my parents about my mental health uh, was um, I felt that I would have given them one big sure <laughs> blow earlier in my life. And the kind of, if, if they had a fantasy journey for me in life, um, it was going pretty well until uh, the kind of 
me coming out as gay. Mm. They weren't going to get a daughter-in-law mm. um, and grandchildren necessarily. Mm. That's maybe, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, well, yeah. in those days. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, in those days, uh, the <laughs> expectation was not that I would have children, um, and you know, it is absolutely wonderful that uh, when I was at Michigan, I made friends with many younger people uh, in the states who who have got. Uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, um, same-sex relationships and, you know, part of their... They don't even question that part of their journey will include children, which mm. I think is it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm. And uh, it's not something I dwell on. Um, I'm not particularly good with children anyway, so that's <laughs> fine. But um, I have lovely friends' children around me in life, so that's good. Um, but... Yeah, so I was probably a little bit nervous. Oh, am I doing it again? Am I giving them another blow? Um, uh, Double bombshell, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. But I have to say, I think, um, as in all these things, I think my parents, who have obviously had challenges in life um, and moments of probable darkness and mm. um, and really tough times mm. in life, I think... Actually, on this one, they could relate to me more. Mm. They could understand how how challenging things can be, and uh, and although our lives were, are very very different, you know, they could appreciate the things that would make me feel better. Mm. I think, although I'm putting words in their mouth, I uh, think that when I came out, it was more difficult because they had lost a life with me that they were expecting all along. Um, so I'm sure that was a shock um, and all credit to them to learning how to to live with it and move on. Uh, they did that with the support of their friends. And of course, they were brought up in a generation where things are said about gay people uh, more freely in those days. So I think they were worried about me mm. um, and uh, I guess, you know, the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, still fresh in their mm-hmm. minds. Mm-hmm. They were worried about me. Um, so that was a bigger shock. Um, to be honest, I think my, my mental health was, is completely unrelated to my sexuality. Um, it's, you know, related to my relationships and, and loneliness and thoughts like that, which, you know, in my bad days, I would think of because, well, that's because I didn't get married to a woman and have Mm. a family. But in no way does that make life easier. Um, in no way does that stop you from from facing horrible challenges or heartbreak or or. or um, so yes, I think um, the sort of first time I came out and sat on the corner of the bed and told them. Um, this time I just told them on the phone and they came down to see me. Uh, it was slightly different. Mm. Um, but also, you know, I was 20 when I was, when I came out to them, 22, 23. Mm. Um, and although I still feel like I'm 22, 23, um, you talk to your parents like a fellow mm. adult in mm. your 40s. You mm. are, you're a grown up in their life. Mm. Um, you're still their son, but, but, but it's a different relationship, I think. And and within the gay community itself, we've talked, um, you know, off air about how you've got you've got lots of um, gay friends, and and are there sort of attitudes or behaviours that perhaps are different in the gay community around mental health that someone like me can maybe educate myself more on, or, or the listeners, or are there 
you know, things that are perceived and talked about differently? You know, what could you tell us a bit about that? Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of uh, LGBT people have dealt with um, real identity issues. Mm. And to not have, not to, to be afraid of who you are for a period of time. Um, again, I say I, I've never felt that, that that part of my life was particularly traumatic mm. or has scarred me um, for some reason. But I, you know, I really know that it has done that to a lot of other people, and it must be awful. Um, maybe it's in the the way I was brought up or the people I was around. It was never a major issue, um, but for others, it must have been. Mm. And I, so I'm grateful for my experience. So. Yes, and I think, I think the prevalence of uh, possible sort of a more of a, a lifestyle that might involve drinks and drugs and late nights more than potentially, but that is changing, of course, in that you know, for, for, for many gay men in particular, the kind of the family life was never part of their game, but it is now. So mm. they are following the trajectories of their heterosexual friends of a similar age, uh, potentially. That's changed. I never like to sort of generalise about gay men, but mm. I think it can be tougher. Mm. There is a lot of homophobia still around. Mm. Um, we should stress that because it hasn't gone away. It hasn't know. gone away. It hasn't gone away completely. It's still there. In fact, I think in many countries it's on the rise. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, outside of... W1 um, in London, um, that I imagine it is a lot more common and and I can't imagine what that would be like to have to live in a, a world where you felt you couldn't be yourself mm. uh, because you fear for, well, you fear for your life or yeah, you fear, in fear, fear cases, injury. Yeah, yeah. Repercussions, or, yeah. Or discrimination mm. at work or discrimination anywhere. So... Um, I can absolutely see that that must be a horrible toll on your mental health. And, uh, yeah, I am concerned that there is more, there are more mental health issues amongst uh, the LGBT community uh, and gay men, if we're talking about them specifically here, because I have experience, lived in experience <laughs> of that. I, um, I I can understand that and sympathise. And I, I mean, the whole Man Academy, bringing gay and straight men together... Um, to kind of discuss these issues, mm. um, it is interesting. I've, I found not opposition, but I, it's been argued against me that I should, we should do something for gay men specifically because they have a set of issues which are different. Um, and, you know, we have thought about it. Actually, straight men may not want to listen to some of that stuff. Mm. Uh, but... I, I I really want to. We're going to try and push on with this idea that we can, we can connect more. Mm. And you know, if it's my one little bit of bringing gays and straights together to learn more about each other and and try and help each other, mm. um, that's what I hope to do. Oh my gosh! Now I'm like, now I'm a gay campaigner too. I <laughs> thought I, I um, uh, but, but that 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 is the aim of it. Um, and you know, if we could all just learn to live with each other and help each other, then this world would be a better place. And we can play games because, because we, I swear. 
We spoke about it earlier, but I think at this point, Matt, in the pod, I think it would be really good to talk about um, mental health at the workplace we currently share, which is the BBC. Um, So first of all, um, we mentioned previously about how you've used your own experience to help your colleagues. But let's just retouch on a bit on, you know, what initiatives do the BBC have so they can help staff across the organisation with their mental health? Well, the the reason for Open Up um, at first was to to tell everybody at the BBC that you can talk about your mental health, that you should feel free and easy and uh, to talk about mental health issues. That is way easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I totally understand that there are uh, differences from different parts of the BBC where you work, who you work for, your level of work. So there's a lot of work I am almost sure to be done there. Certainly in news, um, you know, it differs between teams, but we've worked very, very hard. When I say we... Uh, the people in charge of uh, mental health in, in news, Karen, as I was just talking about earlier, has worked really hard to to create that atmosphere. She works tirelessly to help people, has developed quiet rooms for, for, for BBC I've, News I've colleagues. been shown them. They're very nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, she did that. That was one of our kind of recommendations. Uh, holds lots of events and discussions and brings people in to advise people. Um, she does a, a, a brilliant job. Uh, the Mental Health First Aid Scheme does well at the BBC. Lots I'll be of going people, on that so- very, very soon. Lots of people have joined that, so that's available to everybody. You can They walk around with their different coloured lanyards to make it clear that they're, they're there to help, uh, which is uh, brilliant. Uh, we want to make sure there's one place on our internal uh, um, internet system uh, so you can see where all the resources are available, the employee assistance programme, uh, the courses that are available for not only staff to understand mental health, but also managers to understand more about mental health. So all those things are there, but at its heart, all we wanted to do is open up a kind of, open up, a discussion. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended, and open up a discussion and make people feel safer just to, to say as part of their... Their, their process at work that they can say, talk about mental health without feeling ashamed of talking about it. Mm. And the BBC um, just put out three documentaries about different mental health issues uh, with three celebrities. So we had um, Bake Off winner Nadia Hussein, we had actor David Harewood, and we had um, former politician, so to speak, um, Alistair Campbell. So um, Nadia spoke about her issues with anxiety, um, David Harewood spoke about his issues with psychosis, and uh, Alistair Campbell spoke about his um, experiences of depression. Um, now, first of all, did you watch any of them? And uh, if if you did, which ones did you watch and, and what did you think of them? So I watched Nadia's one. Um, Nadia, who I'm a big fan of, um, and uh, I love her cooking. So I was just interested to hear about more about her. Um, and and it, she's obviously an extremely interesting person in our, our national and cultural life with mm-hmm. her her background and her her, her experience. But... Uh, and she is just a brilliant broadcaster, such a great find by the Bake Off team. Um, she's so engaging. You just listen to everything she says and understand more and sympathise more. And she's so... Um, she's such a great personality. It mm. just I, I just think it, if you were experiencing anxiety, so to speak, and you see somebody like her... Mm talk about it in that way it's going to make you feel a lot better already yeah uh, and someone you can 
even if you don't relate directly to her and her experience, you relate to her as just a human being, I think. Mm. And I really found the... I watched the Alistair Campbell one and I watched the Nadia one and I really found a lot of commonalities in both of them, particularly as I live with depression and, and quite a severe form of anxiety myself. Um, why do you think these these documentaries were, were important in, A, coming from the BBC and, B, being from very well-known British... Maybe celebrity is not the right word, but, you know, popular figures in, in British culture... I mean, we're still at the stage where, actually, I mean, a lot of television, you, you, you need somebody that you know to, to tune in to learn more about them. Mm. We've always been like that. And, uh, and it's always going to be like that. We always want to hear people in the public eye talk about their issues, not because we're enjoying the fact that they're unhappy. As I said earlier, what actually we're doing is, is just a way to get in to examine ourselves um, and uh, that's why they're so important. I mean, it's obviously like, um, you know, the, the very... Uh, my American colleagues at the University of Michigan look to this country and say, because Princess William and Harry and their wives are um, uh, have put mental health right at the centre of mm. their public life um, and talk about it all the time and are involved in initiatives directly about mental health. And I've spoken quite honestly about their their, their experience of those issues. Mm. Um, it, it's made a huge difference. So although the vast majority of us can't relate to their lives whatsoever, mm. um, but we've all experienced grief. Mm. Um, we've all experienced stresses and strains, which are magnified in their life. Obviously, mm. um, it has changed the whole conversation here. Mm. And, you know, part of that is, is because... It humanises it. It humanises mm. it, but they're also star quality, so they get things done. Mm. And people want to get involved. Um, and they, you know, that, that that's... They appreciate that part as well, which is brilliant. Uh, I think it's been an educational, um, you know, experience for a lot of people as well, because I think that, you know, rightly so, some people can look at their lives and say, well, I can't relate to... 95% of the life that they lead. But at the end of the day, you know, Prince William and Harry went through immense grief at an extremely young age. Yeah. And, you know, in the med in and it went on in the media, yeah. you know, it went on well, the, it went the public that, eye. It was grief that um, we all watched at yeah. almost close hand. Mm. And on earth that must have felt like, I do not know. Mm. Um, and I just think... Uh, it has just unlocked something, them talking about it. Mm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, I'm not saying anyone's done this cynically, but CEOs of businesses, prime ministers have talked about mental health because they're being encouraged to by the, by, by the royal family. Mm. Um, and then, yes, these celebrities help. So, you know, I think you know, there's a stage where sometimes you cynically think, I'm tired of seeing another celebrity tell me um, about their depression or anxiety, mm. um, you know, but they pick some really interesting people with interesting lives. Mm. I mean, you know, that, that, that some people maybe you're not going to sympathise with. Um, and actually some of them have spoken about their mm. mental health issues, mm. uh, maybe on social media. And I think, and I really appreciate that. But in a way... I think they seem to be sort of doorways to us talking about things. I found that, you know, one of the most moving programmes about 
mental health I've ever seen on the BBC was Mind Ever Marathon, mm. which of course featured the royals, but was really about the people running uh, and their lives, which I think affected so many people. Mm. And just finally, how, how do you plan to take the fo- conversation forward around mental health at the BBC in the future? Gosh, there's a big one. Mm. Um, I, um, there are some important things that could and still need to be done. And uh, there's a wellbeing week next week uh, at the BBC, uh, which is a brilliant thing. And they're doing actually stuff, it's probably not related to anything I said, but they're using BBC personalities and and talent to involve with staff. And uh, there's one thing I said the BBC not only helps with staff engagement, whatever that kind of phrase of feeling Mm. closer to the BBC that you work in, I think that's amazing. I always thought it's such a shame the days when I used to work at Television Centre, at least on a Friday and a Saturday, you got to watch people from Strictly have a cigarette outside. Mm. So you could, uh, you used to feel part of a bigger thing. Um, It feels a little bit different to that nowadays when we were kind of so disparate. Um, I think that's great and that helps us kind of talk about well-being in that in that forum. Um, I, I find it really interesting that the way we work has changed. You know, it used to be huge teams, uh, mainly office-bound or studio-bound, but now we're a lot smaller, little teams filming in different places and recording mm. how... how uh, people producing a lot of stuff for for uh, other platforms. Um, that you know the content's not as centralised as it was. Mm. How we manage that in future as the BBC, I think, is interesting, and I'd love to help out with that. Our final topic of conversation, Matt, and it's one that I have with all my special guests, is a general natter about my mental, our mental health, I should say. So firstly, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, pal? Oh, right now? Um, good. Um, <laughs> I look after myself mm. and I treat myself um, and I enjoy my company. So, and, you know, there are days where I feel sort of lonely and a little bit trapped um, and slightly anxious about the future. Um, But I have put in place coping strategies um, Mm. or I know what they are to to, to help me through those Mm. points in time. So always happy to share what they are, but I, uh, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Great. Um, So well, first of all, we'll say, you know, I'll ask you if you felt comfortable saying, what mental health issues do you live with in your life and how do they affect you? And then we'll, I'll ask you a bit about the, um, the coping strategies as well. I okay. think you'd like to go into a bit more detail about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I suppose I don't describe myself as someone who's living with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently still being treated uh, for depression and um, I am somebody that's wants to make sure that I don't become unwell again. Mm. So there is, I guess, always that possibility that I could be unwell again, um, but I do everything I can to stop so. So, you know, some of these words are very difficult and phrases and I might be criticised for sort of saying I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not necessarily living with depression, but I'm certainly uh, living a life that makes sure I'm not depressed again. Mm. 
which is a very long phrase <laughs> and not easy to say, but that's kind of how I, how I look at it. Mm. And my coping strategies, um, they involve uh, lots of things. They involve putting stuff into my diary with friends and family and being quite strategic. Very busy, organised. Not yeah. totally busy. Okay. Organised, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, spread out um, as much as possible um, so I don't get overly tired. Um, so I'm placing... Gosh, my friends listen to this, they'll hate it. Placing <laughs> friends in different times <laughs> when I'm kind of thinking I'll it would be a good time to see them and... So and check in. Of, yeah, somebody and new that's a bit... F- a new friend that says, oh, let's go for a drink sometime. Mm. Um, I might put that at a certain point because what happens if we have a disastrous night out? Mm. Um, but that's fine because two days later I'm with all my oldest friends mm. doing something. So I do a lot of that. I do uh, date nights for myself. Um, that's which... a great concept. Tell me a bit more about that. <laughs> Sounds a bit weird, but... Uh, I think I should do more of them, to be honest. It is. Help me. Some night I did... I'm having, I'm having one tonight. I'm having two in a row. <laughs> I am going out Sunday night, so that's the point. But I... Um, uh, it's the food I like, the television I like. Um, I try and coalesce stuff like new bed linen um, and things and a nice candle. When you say it, it sounds so pathetic, but it's not. It's really, it's great. You're treating yourself. How I look at it is something like I'm checking into a hotel that mm. I've got to myself for a night. Um, and honestly, it is just brilliant. I, I, I put the mobile, mobile phone on the other side of the room so I can't grab it, but I can hear if, it, if it's work and they're calling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, I do that kind of thing. I separate my gym activity, make sure that's at the right time. And um, so I've got that tomorrow, um, lunchtime uh, to look forward to. Other coping strategies, if I start to get anxious about life, mm. um, just handling life, always a notepad and pen by my bed, um, just just to write stuff down um, and uh, I, you know, very mindful of my sleep sometimes. And then kind of moments where I just have sort of silence ever so often just for, just for an hour a day, um, if I can, just to sort of relax and not think about anything, mm-hmm. make sure I've got a good book on the go. Um, I think there are things that a lot of people would think are part of normal life and they do them instinctively. Mm. But I just have to just make sure they're planned a bit more and make sure Mm. that they're there and they exist. Um, And, uh, I mean, mainly I just try to make sure I don't get overtired. Mm. And what things do you find in life that might trigger your mental health? So things people might say, environments, situations, you know, what things do you find that you, you find triggering or... Have you maybe not discovered all of them yet? <laughs> I hope there aren't any more. <laughs> um, I think um, I, mean, I, dish, I deal with issues of loneliness, as many people mm, do. So do I, really, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I'm, I mean, obviously the coping strategies of processing my thoughts, I didn't even mention that, but that kind of thinking about things from many different angles. I appreciate there are people who are lonely in relationships I'm not saying that helps me appreciate the fact that other people 
have thriving relationships and I don't. Um, and then therefore I feel left out. Yeah, that's something I struggle with a lot as well. Yeah. But I know that, that the grass, and I'm quoting a friend now, I think <laughs> the grass is always greener. I know it's not. Um, and, you know, I appreciate where I am. I sort of, at my lowest point, I think I will always be alone um, because there's been no evidence so far that I won't be. Mm. I don't hold on to the hope that one day suddenly I will fall in love and that will just transform my whole aspect on life. Mm. I don't even think about that happening. That's probably the best attitude to have because mm. then it might just happen just out of nowhere. Um, I That kind of triggers me. And my, you know, going back to what we were saying at the very beginning, my eight-week holiday, mm. I was very carefully planned of time with friends, time alone, uh, and so well planned. I think the time alone I did, I think probably once I thought, why am I driving in the middle of Colorado on my own mm. when other friends are going on holiday with their partners uh, and families? And the then of course... Thing, the, compa- the comparison yeah, I'm co- thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm comparing. And then, of course, all my friends are saying, God, that's so damn jealous of you. <laughs> I've got the kids screaming in the back of the car. Um, and uh, you're having this most amazing time. And I thought, well, of course, you're absolutely right. No, I do get that. Um, But, you know, I think knowing that the life isn't defined by a relationship Mm. um, with one other human being, or whatever, we're a very open world now, um, I think treading that balance between those two points is, is a difficult game for me. But it's not just about relationships, I think you know, tough stuff at work, not feeling supported by other people at work. I need that. Um, I have to say that's not a problem. Um, I'm, I feel utterly supported mm. um, in every way. So that is makes work a very nice place to go to. Um, and uh, sometimes, you know, your little financial worries get to me a little bit. Mm. But that's because I just spent a fortune in America <laughs> for eight weeks. But I can cope. Mm. Um, they're the things that kind of can trigger me. Mm. I, I would say, you know, the, the, the loneliness aspect, sometimes it's not even related to other people. It's when you realise all that's going on is what's going on in your head mm. and and really taking time to stop that spiralling feeling of thoughts going around your head and just trying to calm yourself down um, and rethink things or divert yourself from creating thoughts and options in life that are possibly and normally not true in any way whatsoever. Mm. You've talked a bit there about sort of the tools and methods that you used in your own life. Um, What other ones have you found that have worked and which ones haven't maybe that you've tried? I, um, writing down the kind of pros and cons of things... I just get bored of doing that. So um, I just sort of a quick shorthand. Well, if I think this is why this has happened, can I just think of two other reasons why it was something else? Um, That often helps. I have a sort of knack, and I don't know if this is prone to anybody that has a mental health issue, of forgetting really great examples of when it's not how I think mm. what's happened in the past. Mm. Somebody, the greatest one I can think of, when I'm really nervous about something, I think, I feel terrible, this is never going to end. 
Mm. And as much as I tell myself, this has happened to you before, you know it does end. It ends after a day or the thing that doesn't happen in the way you think it's going to happen, in fact, just suddenly stops and something good happens. Uh, I laughed just the other day. I went into a big BBC meeting knowing that I would have to do something quite difficult and have an argument with a formidable opponent mm. to try and get my way and that at least five or six people were depending that I won this argument. Mm. And I didn't sleep all night and I thought, this is never going to end, I'm a disaster. Um, and I went into that meeting dreading it, pale, because I hadn't slept. Mm. And I walked into the meeting and... Uh, and there were some other broadcasters there. And before I even opened my mouth, the other broadcaster next to me said something which completely changed the mm. whole thing in one go, which actually in the end meant that I didn't have to contribute whatsoever. Oh, my right. whole problem had been resolved by somebody else. <laughs> I was there, I was ready, shaking with my papers. <laughs> You're ready and to it go. It just went, yeah. it went. And then the person, the formidable opponent was lovely, obviously, because they are. And... Um, I thanked this other colleague, so I'm, I'm really not naming names here. But and I kind of walked out, and I thought, "Oh God, I wish I'd had a good night's sleep last night." <laughs> I was a bit angry. I was thinking I was blaming all of them for my lack yeah. of sleep. Uh, and I thought, um, and then I texted what happened to a couple of colleagues, and I got, "Wow, brilliant resolution!" <laughs> uh, well, I didn't do anything, <laughs> um, but nevertheless, I'm delighted. Um, and even then. I thought to myself, please remember this feeling. Remember that it goes away. And this is only work. Um, and uh, you just need to remember it. I have trouble remembering those moments. And I don't quite know why. Mm. I remember things that go wrong mm. more than things that go right. I remember all the times the tube is late. Never the times I always get a seat and I get to work really quickly, that kind of thing. I never get a seat, I'll say, on the tube. <laughs> Those days I do, which are frequent, I never remember them. It's that, it's that how I describe it anyway. Um, in your own social group or your, your own network, how do you support friends who might have mental health issues themselves or perhaps come to you and say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this or I'm living with this. I know, you know, you've gone through maybe similar things. How, how do I get through this? What do you sort of do? So I'm in a useless emotional crutch, um, and I'm, you know, I'm going to come out and say that I'm, I'm open about that. I find it very difficult dealing mm. with other people's big emotional issues, um, and not that I cast them on myself. I worry that I just get so sad that I become useless. Mm. So there's a bit of that, um, and it feels weird saying to friends you know, you can ring this telephone line, you can do mm. this. And I I don't know whether it comes from a kind of fear that if I become really un sad with a friend that I will, it will just open up my floodgates potentially again. The old wounds sort of are. The old wounds. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, it's a bit problematic. I do kind of suggest to them the right people that I know are in their lives or around me or them that they could get some... Well, I come up with like a pearl of wisdom and walk mm. off. That's mm. kind of what I tried to do. Um, so, yes, some of my friends have been particularly good to me and I'm not good back. And I try to make up for that in different ways. 
This isn't a particularly optimistic, wonderful answer, I'm afraid. <laughs> but I try and um, I, I try and be effective and show show kindness. Mm. There we are. Actually, that's a word mm. uh, that my friend uses a lot. Um, just just keep showing as much kindness as possible um, in this world. And I think they they because I've experienced it to me, and I've experienced it the benefits of kindness of other people. Um, I guess I'm going to sound like I'm doing a Miss World contest. <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be first lady of the United States. I'm going to do a kindness movement. Um, yes, that's the way. I, I I'm not going to say I fail at helping my friends. Mm. But that would be unfair. Yeah, that would be unfair. I, I, I'm probably not what they hope me to be in these scenarios, and that's the only thing I ask for. Try to ask for understanding, and I think they do. Mm. We talk a lot about toxic masculinity on this podcast. Um, how do you think we, as men, sort of break down this toxic masculinity culture that has maybe not taken the lives of people directly, but has had an impact on why men have felt unable to speak out or when they have done, they've been, they've had repercussions from social groups or whatever? I think it's really tough. I mean, my, my experience of toxic masculinity is, is old, I suppose, in the way that um, as a gay man and a, somebody who tries to disarm situations with camp references and joking <laughs> and normally calls out the kind of, the braggadocio. Yeah, yeah, or the straight man in my life tries to call them out a bit as long as they're not going to punch me in the face. Yeah. Um, I think is interesting. I think watching men feel free to talk about issues, watching that almost, they're shaking because they, they want it to come out of their mouth, but they, they can't, is fascinating. One story for a whole man academy that we went to, actually... It was an event we did where men and women were invited and um, they were a married couple where the, 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 women, the woman said, um, what's so interesting, I always thought about men and mental health is that when I'm pregnant, she'd had two children. She said, I don't actually like my mum that much, but I go to my mum and my sister and uh, immediately and talk through, I can ring them at any point mm. and say, how do I do this mm. and my husband has never asked his father or his brothers mm. who have all had experience of having children especially the father oddly enough <laughs> um uh never asked advice or thoughts and why doesn't that happen why do fathers not help fathers in that way which i think is fascinating and i <sighs> and then the relationship between men and women currently is something that, that I, as a gay man, have experienced for the first time, uh, in that, uh, you know, I think five to ten years ago, you camped it up with all the girls, put your arm around them, talked about issues in a way that I feel more reluctant to do now, mm. um, uh, because I am a man and they're a woman. I think a lot of that comes with my age. I'm an older man, and if, we're, if this involves younger women, that kind of being very careful... Uh, you know, my camp style. I know I've mentioned it three or four times, not to over-talk people. Mm. I over-talk everyone. I think I'm fair <laughs> to everybody. I think I'm nasty to everybody, but I, I try and be 
very, very careful um, in that area. It's a real battle, and I'm sure the the people that can't use their humour and at least... To disarm stuff. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, I do get to hide behind the fact that if they know I'm gay, they know I am not making a sexual advance mm. or using uh, my attraction to them as a weapon mm. uh, because it's not there and it doesn't exist. So, I, you know, I'm slightly uh, safer in that category, but I can still use my... I'm still a man in trousers and chinos mm. at work like mm. all the rest of the men. Um, and You're not any different in that respect. Not any different yeah. in that aspect. And I'm really conscious that we, we talk over people, um, that we don't listen to, to, to different voices. Um, so I make sure we do that. I just think in that whole dealing with what we think masculinity means, um, I think the biggest battle is it just means so many different things now. Mm. And I think masculinity is an element of a man's life. It's just one of those elements, whereas there are so many other things about being a human being which are way more interesting. Mm. So that's probably what we try and do in Whole Man Academy and kind of share it between us that, that, that men need to think of themselves as a more complex human being um, uh, than they originally have, which was... I guess, breadwinner, um, husband and father. Those traditional archetypes. Those traditional archetypes. Are outdated now in some respects. Breadwinner's gone. Father still exists, but differently. Uh, And uh, husband, partner obviously still exists, but but, but the relationship's different. Mm. But you can also be advocate. You can be... Uh, charity person, kind person. Mm. There's so many more emotions attached. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. yeah. The, there are so many things that you can be: the joker, the 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 the, the motivator. Mm. The, there are some. Just think of those kind of different things. All those other relationships that we thought defined us—they still exist. Mm. Making money uh, for your family and being a partner and being a father—they all still exist. Mm. We've just got to kind of do them differently. Mm. Why do you think in the past that we as men have, you know, failed to address this burgeoning crisis? Why do you think we have found it so difficult to express emotions outside of braggadocio, outside of personal ambition, outside of sexual desire? Because we didn't need to. Mm. Because we had all male spaces where that was fully supported. Mm. Um, never challenged. Where women were never yeah. challenged, where women were excluded, whether that be social or in the workplace or anywhere, in fact. I mean, men men still do, but completely around the world, as it were. And, you know, they, they didn't need to challenge it because nobody was challenging them mm. um, and, and their expectations of life, uh, much to their detriment. And I think, uh, I don't... I'm trying to think, when I was growing up in the 1970s and 80s, I never thought that I was more privileged or would do better because I was a man. So I am that generation. But I think you don't have to go far before my generation 
to think that probably that's what you thought mm. um, and that, that, that the world was yours. I mean, I went to an, a comprehensive school, so the world was definitely not mine. <laughs> I, I agree. Have, I Same go, for me. I didn't go to Eton where they, yeah. they think the world is going to be theirs. And it's automatically theirs. Automatically yeah. theirs. Yeah. But, I, um, but at the same time, I, I never... I wanted to be a lawyer and my, my female friends at school wanted to be lawyers. I didn't think, well, I'm going to be a lawyer, they're not. Mm. Um, just just didn't occur to me. So that, that, that really shows you that there's a different... And a subconscious bias. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I'm aware that there are... At university, there are kind of all-male societies and... Uh, this is probably a bit extreme. I just think, yeah, you are treated differently. Mm. Um, and... Uh, but again, I think as a gay man, I just had a different experience because I always felt different to everybody else. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I always knew I was a bit of a different case here. Mm. Um, and kind of fell between the two in some aspects. Mm. But yeah, more or less, I don't think we found it difficult. We just didn't need to. Mm. If there's one thing that you would want to change to either address toxic masculinity or to to use or implement that we can do to help people with mental health issues or conditions, what would it be? The one thing that yeah. I would do. Uh, certainly a little... An appreciation of work hours. Mm. Um, I'm not sure in the, the way that we live today and the way we treat work, uh, where that has come from because countries have, uh, and peoples have had amazing, flourishing, profitable lives without working every hour that happens. Mm. And I always think it's some great big conspiracy that we think we have to be in work longer um, to either deserve our pay or to do our jobs. Mm. And there is a sort of, the other, cons the conspiracy theory being that actually and I would say this because I'm older and I'm a manager, but you're paid for your experience, not for your hours necessarily. Mm. You're, you're paid for what you know and what you can do effectively. Um, so I would love, uh, you know, a really realistic look at the culture of that, as deep as that, the culture of work. Mm. Um, because I think um, at the same time that would allow... Uh, men and women and anybody to spend more time being a fuller person and doing more activities in and around their working lives and their what they do and they volunteer to do than they do now. Um, I just think for some reason the ability for us to work 20 hours a day when we're 22 stays forever mm. and we feel that we can't stop that mm. and um and i think we need to appreciate that better that's quite a big thing that i want to change but mm. and i'm i'm lucky enough to have spoken out about that and how i try to balance work with looking after myself and i'm really supported in it for which i'm very grateful and i know a lot of people aren't um the other thing that i would do i think is uh, healthier food at work. There we are. Mm. <laughs> I've always said, why am I a little sashimi bar? That sounds terribly W1A. But I, um, at the same time, no, 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 no. Um, and uh, better public transport. Mm. Now I am not sounding like Miss World. 
Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this edition of the Just Checking In podcast. Matt, thank you so much for being my special guest on this edition's pod and for checking in with me. I'd love to get you on for another chinwag soon. As always, thank you to all the venters who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Or if you're feeling really generous, write us a review on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, it's always okay to vent. Bye.